0: And gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Hey, Shabbat Shalom everybody. <clears throat> Good to be here. The problem is right now that I did catch a pretty good dose of the flu. So I don't know how long I'll hang in here today, but we'll we'll do what we can until we run out of voice or I'm just too hard for you to understand. And we'll just pick it up next week. Probably nothing's going to change on this end in one week, although I'm sure much will change in the world between now and next Shabbat. It's unbelievable how much has changed between today and last Shabbat. This time last week, We were at the airport running for bomb shelters in in the ben airport, which is quite quite an experience. Uh, But we did have lots of people that were praying for us. I hit basically uh, three texts, and I knew that instantly I could have three different Sukkot camps praying for us. And that's exactly what happened. And so Baruch Hashem, uh, there were rockets that hit the airport area, but not one of them hit the building. And that's wonderful. Bomb shelters are great, but I think prayer is greater. So those of you that that were in those groups praying, uh, or those of you that just cover us in prayer generally, we thank you. Prayer works. And so we did make it home on one of the few uh, American flights still going out. And there were some delays but that was okay you know you don't want to take off in a in a hail of rockets Um, but the rest of our group was uh, not as blessed we might say getting out so many of the American flights had been canceled at that point that they're just now getting home it's taken that long and um, and it's with no help from the American government I'll have to say that uh, less than zero uh, instead, trying to direct them through a country that at this point, I believe, uh, they had thousands of people queued up at the borders wanting to come fight uh, with Hamas. And that's where your government directed the American citizens who were trying to get out of Israel and basically get out of the way so the army can do its job um, so that we wouldn't be draining resources that they need right now to, to fight the enemy. and. Um, so, you better have a plan B if you're an American flying overseas and there's trouble. That's for sure. On the other hand, l all has been old faithful hanging in there, and that's that's been one way that people have been able to get out maybe in smaller numbers, but very reliable. Uh, so if if you're thinking about plan B, put l all on that list. You definitely want to be able to know that your flight won't be turned around in the middle of its way to the airport, even after it's been in the air seven hours. Uh, Fortunately, our planes were already on the ground. And so we were blessed to be able to get out. But it it was really difficult, uh, not just having the flu, which shall remain unnamed, but um, knowing that you've got 40 people scattered all over the place trying to get out you know places like belgrade ethiopia venice they they had to take some wacky routes and a, a wacky number of flights to try to get home so I know they're exhausted I know I was and I didn't even have to take an alternate flight but it's nothing compared to what our brothers and sisters are and are going through in the land and have gone through so maybe another time we'll talk about what that journey was like getting out because obviously we had nine wonderful days before Simkat Torah and the joy of the Torah. Um, That morning we woke up and and we knew we had some significant problems. And that's what I want to address. Hopefully to give you a little bit of encouragement, if you get our newsletter, then you'll know I've already addressed some of this in terms of timing. um, That would be especially Relevant to creation gospel students who have studied that paradigm of the seven days of creation and the symbolism that is embedded. We say symbolism, but actually it's prophecy, prophetic patterns that are embedded in those first seven days of creation. And that's kind of that was my question. Could we have predicted what would happen on the eighth day of Sukkot? I don't know that anybody is, well, there's probably a bunch. come to think of it, nobody in their right mind probably is going to set a date and say this is going to happen on this day and at this time because that sets you up. You're know, like, if you're wrong, if if that's not the voice of Adonai you're listening to, then you're a false prophet. And there's pretty severe penalties for a false prophet. But can we predict the patterns? Of course we can. That's what the Bible's there for, to help us predict those patterns and so I uh, just thinking back, I said, was there any way we could have predicted? I don't know that there's any way we could have predicted that on the eighth day of Sukkot, that war would have broken out. Uh, basically, a I don't know what you'd call it, a jubilee war, maybe. But rejoicing in the Torah, rejoicing in the commandments of Adonai, the commandments to preserve life, the commandments not to steal. The, the Big Ten that we think of, and of course, the 613 come out of those Big Ten. And, you know, underpinning it all is love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, this is the particular day that the beast uh, chose to have an anti-Simkat Torah. Or we might say a Simkat anti tour They celebrated every, every evil thing. Uh, that stands against the word of Adonai every evil thing they celebrated and there's there's circumstances surrounding it that like i say maybe at a later date we can unpack it I've, I've got in my head some things that some observations but i need time at this point there it's one thing to teach the word and then it's one thing entirely to find yourself right in the middle of it and I don't know if you've ever had that realization like, oh, my goodness, I'm right in the middle of prophecy here. How are you supposed to behave when you know you're right in the middle of prophecy? Sometimes we get the, you know, with COVID, we I think we had that impression. We're living through something of prophecy, just not sure how it fits in there. And so we look for the patterns and we found them. Um, same thing here. I think we need a little distance. Uh, or I, need, I, I think I do. I need a little bit of distance. But my first impressions, I did put in the newsletter. And just in hindsight, a few days afterward, I said, were there any clues as to what was going to happen? And in general, the answer is yes. According to prophetic patterns, we had some clues. We have the cycle of the Shemitah years. And it's really unfortunate at this point, uh, you don't see the same sort of controversy within, you know, Judaism, but for a lot of non-Jews coming into the Torah. One thing they love to do is argue about calendars and dates and when is this gonna happen? When is that gonna happen? And you're not doing this right. And the moon has to be done this way. And the sun has to be done this way. And a lot of times they're, they're doing it without even a really good grasp of the Hebrew text. Uh, maybe they're using a Strong's Concordance. I don't know what they're using. The internet, for sure. But as, as we look at the pattern, I think if if we recognize in a, in a normal way of looking at the Shemitah years, uh, in the most accepted way of looking at the Shemitah years, the way that Israel is observing it in the land today, in terms of how they view products that are grown in the Shemitah year and how they deal with that, um, we would be in the second year on Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. That would have started the second year of this Shemitah cycle. What do we know about the second year? Well, it goes back to our paradigm that you learn when you do the creation gospel. You learn a pattern that you can use for your Bible study. And we know that on the second day of creation, he separates the waters from the waters. Day one, he separates light and darkness. Day two, he separates the upper waters and the lower waters. And you learn when you go through this deep study of the days of creation, that this is a day that's not declared good. On its day, on its day, it tells you what happened, what occurred, the separation of the upper and the lower, like the heavenly waters and the earthly waters. But it's not until the third day that the work of the second day is declared good. It's not that it is never declared good. It is. It's not declared good until the third day. So there's a sense of the second day as being like a a death day. And I say that with air quotes. Why? Because death is a matter of separation. When your soul and your body and your spirit separate from one another, we call that being dead. And um, you say, well, how can death be good? Well, it wasn't called good. As we look at the pattern of the day, but it is good on the third day. It is good on the third day when there is a type of resurrection. The first fruits appear in the earth. So if we apply that to our Shemitah years, we're in the second year of the Shemitah. What should we expect in the second year? We should experience separation. That would be the normal pattern of those years. The second year is, is, I don't want to call it a scary year, but it's a a year that you're, you're definitely on point, on guard. Keeping your eyes open, because it's a time of chaos, waters are fluid, they're characterized by chaos, they don't have pattern, they don't have form. And so it's at this point that they begin formation. And so you're going to have the, the upper waters pulling up, that which represents the will of heaven, but you're also going to have the lower waters that are going to begin to form. And so in this ethos of separation, we also get that
1: sense of death, of chaos, of confusion, of disorder.
0: If we look at the pattern and we say, okay, when should we understand things kind of kick in? Do they actually kick on on Rosh Hashanah, the, the first day of the change? Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, also head of the change, because the first of the months happens back in the spring. But in the fall, remember your jubilee trumpets is blown at Yom Kippur 10 days later. So it declares a year. You think about years in the fall where you think about months in the spring. And so as this year flipped over, as it turned, as, as Torah calls it, this year turned. I don't know that we saw anything huge
1: that stood out on that particular day. But things tend not to. In in the pattern
0: we have the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, we have what is called 10 awesome days or 10 terrible days. These are days you you need to repent if you're not sure that your name is inscribed and sealed in the book of life because on that day the decrees are made for life, for death. We pray that in our liturgy. Um, who's going to be inscribed for life? Who's going to be inscribed for death? Who's going to be inscribed for experiences in between there? There's a whole range between life and death. And these are the obstacles that you know, Adonai determines. Well, this person is going to have to do these things in the coming year. If you don't do them, guess what's on your list next year? Same stuff. If you didn't deal with it this year, don't think he's just going to take that off the table. He'll put that platter back on the table next year and just be cold leftovers, which you don't want to do, right? And so you've got 10 days to repent. Nothing much is going to happen during those 10 days. The gates will close at Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of coverings. And so through repentance, you're covered. It doesn't mean the sins didn't happen. They did. It just means that they are atoned for. And this is very important for believers in Yeshua. Because often I, I think, and it's not that people do it on purpose. But I think we're taught that because you're saved in Yeshua, you pretty much have carte blanche to sin and do anything you want to.
1: And clearly we don't.
0: Um Hebrews... Ten twenty nine explains to us that if if we keep on sinning, if we take that blood of Yeshua lightly, then it says we are subject to a severer punishment. You don't hear that preached very often, but it's in the Bible. I didn't write it, and so that's something to consider. There's things that we know to do, and we have no idea at all whether we've we got the strength to change them or not, but we just bring them to Yeshua. We take them to the Father and said, here are the things I'm struggling with. Please forgive me. Help me do better. And then when the gates close on Yom Kippur, these things are covered. Because you, you've you demonstrated I'm not taking that blood lightly. Uh, I'm not trying to sin on purpose. It's, it's part of being human. Uh, but I do want to change this, and I, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me change it. Then what happens? Does war break out? Well, in the Yom Kippur war, it did break out. It did break out, and that's why we we often see the pattern of prophecy being fulfilled or significant events being fulfilled on the prophetic dates of the feasts, the seven feasts of Adonai.
1: So on Yom Kippur. What's being challenged? The covering. Remember, it's a day of atonements. It's a day of coverings. Israel nearly lost that war.
0: One of the ways that they were able to muster up the men fast enough, because clearly they were caught off guard. How did they find the men to get them mobilized? Well, they knew where they would be. They would be in the synagogue. So they could go to the synagogues and get everybody on their way. And so the the atonement, the covering of Israel was tested
1: in the Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur is the sixth feast. It's a day of coverings. And Israel prevailed on that day. But what about this? Well, like you say, the gates will close at Yom
0: Kippur, and maybe nothing will happen. But at this point, the decrees are handed off to angels, to the emissaries. And they're sealed up, of course. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It was already inscribed on Rosh Hashanah. May still be quiet. Why? Because we've got a feast. We've got seven,
1: no, eight days of rejoicing. Seven days under the covering of the sukkah. And then on the eighth day,
0: you come out of the sukkah, you come out of the covering, and you rejoice in the Torah. And this is typically when you can expect things start to, quote-unquote, happen. Because now those angels that hold those decrees will begin to unseal them in their time. This year, it happened at lightning speed. On the eighth day of Sukkot, uh, probably the the worst Holocaust since the Holocaust occurred in terms of surprise, in terms of atrocity committed, and I don't have to tell you what they are. What does that tell us about the year? It tells us that the decree for the year is perfectly consistent with the number. If we're looking at the second. Year of the Shemitah cycle, we're looking at a year of chaos,
1: a year of confusion, a year of separation, a year of death. But it's this exposure is necessary. So many times
0: it, it feels like, well, did did they get lulled to sleep? What happened? Did they really think these people were their partners? Did they really think these people were gonna cooperate with them? That all of a sudden, the everything they were about, they said, well, we're not gonna be that way anymore. We're gonna be nice neighbors. No. And so with, with lightning speed, the decrees of the year came unsealed. And it is chaos. Uh, Hamas means violence. It, it's gonna characterize this year. It's gonna be a year of violence. But this exposure is necessary because in the the same way that we see in Revelation that the beast likes to gather his own and to mark them as his own, and there's an unholy gathering and marking. At the same time, whatever's happening in the lower waters, what's happening in the upper waters? What's happening in the heavenly? Well, the, the righteous are also being, well, they've been sealed, right? So they're already sealed. With a seal, they're being gathered as well. What's going to happen to them in the coming year? That's already been decreed, but they're in much different hands uh, than those who have been decreed for death, for those who have been decreed for calamity. It doesn't mean that they're going to escape hard times. Definitely they're they're going to be part of those hard times. We're still in the earth. But it means that they're being one is being separated from the other. You know, somebody that you thought was on your side, somebody thought you had your same mindset, your same heart, what you're going to find is it's you're getting farther and farther away because each has to be exposed. If you're going to be marked
1: for the beast, you, you're going to be known. If you're going to be sealed over for the, the, the kingdom of heaven, that needs to be known,
0: but there might be a price to pay once you're exposed, once people know who you are, there might be a price to pay uh, for having that identification. And so for the righteous, there may be a price to pay this year for having an identification with the Torah. If you rejoice in the Torah, if you rejoice in fulfilling the commandments of Adonai,
1: if you're not a rebel, if you're not a killer, if, if you don't rejoice in death,
0: that's going to set you apart for sure. But it's also going to antagonize the beast. And you need to be prepared for that. And you need to pick your battles, too. We know it's going to be a year of battles. So pick your battles. Make sure that the Holy Spirit's leading you into that battle. I think it's important for you to know your time. And again, if you're not familiar with the the feast times, if you don't know what the seven feasts are, if you don't know their characteristics, if you don't know where they are in Scripture, if you're not doing them, hearing, seeing in Scripture is doing something. It's not just looking at it like, well, that's a feast. No, it means do it. Because he's rehearsing you. He's equipping you. He's preparing you.
1: And if you don't know, don't despair. Time hasn't run out yet. Um, but you need to start reading your
0: Bible. Mm-hmm. Buy a book on the feasts. Enroll in a class. We've got we're we're constantly starting new classes with the creation gospel paradigm, so you can learn how these feasts fit into the pattern. We've got lots of trainers now who can teach by Zoom. There's there's no sense in being ignorant of the feasts at this point. Maybe twenty years ago, sure, but there's there's No excuse at this point to be ignorant of the feasts. There's too many resources available to you. The primary one being your Bible. Yeah, the primary one being your Bible. You could read that. That, That's a suggestion. The problem with that is if you didn't grow up learning about them and doing them, it can be a challenge. And so you, you might need a little bit of coaching
1: on how to read those passages. But the fence is not a good place to be this year. And they found that out in a, in a horrific way. The people closest to the fence suffered the greatest harm.
0: In this particular year of the cycle, those who are sitting on the fence will likely suffer the greatest harm. You say, well, you just said there's a price to pay if you identify with a If you want to obey him, the price is greater
1: to have a foot in both camps. That's why the, the congregation at Laodicea was warned.
0: You're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're going to have to take a position here. So this is the year to take a position. And then you'll, you'll begin to see the results of it next year. This year, just kind of get in your head. It's a year of confusion. You say, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already confused. No, not nearly as confused as you could be. COVID, I think, introduced a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety, a lot of helplessness, a lot of realization that you can't trust anybody to tell you the truth anymore. And that's why you have to go back to the word where it says it is written. Because anybody on the news, uh, movies, television shows, I don't care where you're getting your information. They're filtering their information through I think I feel I want. Anything that would appeal to somebody and sell a commercial.
1: There's only one place to go to hear the truth. And that's through the word of the living God. and. That's going to be the theme to hold on to through this entire
0: year. It's I've never seen the decrees come unsealed that fast. We might compare it with Yom Kippur and say, wow, things came uncovered on Yom Kippur. Well, this is Simchat Torah. This is going to be a test of obedience to the Torah, obedience to the word. The, the Torah is the word. And so if if you rebel against the word, there's going to be greater and greater distance between these these two groups of people. Um, there's some refining to do in the coming years, but this year it's it's a very raw, chaotic year. And you need to plant your feet firmly in this year. I' going to say sitting on the fence, living by the fence, enjoying the fence, dancing by the fence. These sorts of things,
1: they're, they're going to backfire eventually. Because if you don't take a position now, then that resurrection of the third day,
0: that emergence of the dry land from the chaotic waters, the fruit trees, the seeds, and, and all these wonderful things, if, if you weren't part of the order of things, then you just continue to be in a, in a state of chaos. And that's what we don't want. We don't want to continue in a state of chaos. In the newsletter, I I pointed out another pattern here about an article that was another clue. At least to those of you who have had the creation gospel, you know a little bit of something about the fifth day of creation,
1: right? You know that birds and fish were created on the fifth day of creation. And you also know
0: that uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is the fifth feast. And so, if we look back again as Rosh Hashanah this year, as the day on which the decrees were issued and then sealed up 10 days later at Yom Kippur, say, was there any sign during those 10
1: days? that something like this was coming. And I called the mind an article I had read during that time.
0: I had read it before we flew out to Israel the day after Yom Kippur. And, I, and I'm in, always interested in fish kills because of the creation gospel and the symbolism of it, because we know fish represent people. There's good people and there's bad people. And Yeshua knows where to cast the net to find good people. He knows the ones that have to be thrown back, uh, but he also knows where to find good people. And if you'll remember, his his post-resurrection appearances seem to center around fish. Like, do you have any fish to eat? Or meet me up in the Galilee, and he's cooking fish. He's giving the disciples every indication that they're about to become fishers of men. So what do the fish symbolize? People. What do the waters symbolize? The nations. So the the water represents the nations where you find the fish. He's sending his disciples to go find the good fish. That's part of their, their commission as he sends them out. And so he sent them out with the good news. Good fish are going to hear the good news. And they're not just going to hear the good news. They're going to come to Yeshua. And Yeshua
1: said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And part of his commandments are in the Torah, right? Uh, In fact, all of his
0: commandments are in the Torah. Even love your neighbor as yourself is in the Torah. We can't throw that one out. That's in Leviticus. So all the commandments of Yeshua are in the Torah. So we love his word because we love him. And he prepares us. But in this article that I pulled up, Like I said, before we went to Israel on Yom
1: Kippur, um, it was published on September 26th in Ynet News. And
0: this would have occurred during the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it says thousands of dead fish have been spotted on one of the beaches in Hadera in recent days. This is in Israel the Environmental Protection Agency estimated that since these fish were not of commercial use, they were likely discarded
1: by fishermen. Wow,
0: knowing what we know about the symbolism of fish and fishermen, that's a pretty amazing statement. A travel blogger shared her distress saying, this morning I headed towards Hedera Beach, which is a beautiful spot. As I reached the shore, I saw large quantities of dead fish scattered along the beach, numbering in the thousands. I realized that pollution must have caused this. She added, it's truly a horrible and heartbreaking sight. This is not the first time we've witnessed such a horrifying phenomenon with thousands of dead fish washing up on the shore. It's a sorrowful morning. According to the EPM, I guess our version of EPA, it says, in recent days, reports were received about dead fish on Hadera's beach. The images were sent to Dr. Nir Stern from the Israel Oceanographic and Limnological Research, who identified them as young and non-endangered fish. The small size of these fish indicates that they were likely discarded by fishermen. The ministry and other authorities are not aware of any pollution in the area that could have caused the fish deaths.
1: So there's the symbolism of the fish as people. And they're discarded, in this case, by evil fishermen. There's good fishermen with good news, and there's evil fishermen with evil news. With Instead of carrying the gospel of life and peace, they carry the gospel of death and Hamas,
0: the the truth that is found and it is written, you won't find that truth. Instead, you will have an opposite gospel, a gospel of death, a gospel of violence,
1: a gospel that can only breathe lies because it's death. You can talk to
0: people and and it's I know it's supernatural blindness because we've
1: talked about it in class before. You can show them incontrovertible proof of a truth. And they will swear that it's not the truth. They will spout untruths as if they are truth. And you can tell they really believe it. They
0: actually believe it. It's kind of like Pharaoh continually hardening his heart.
1: Well, why would he keep doing it if he's not that invested in it? But Pharaoh kept hardening his heart to the the news of life, the news of freedom, a news of peace, a news of lifting oppression, and he could only
0: hear a twisted version of it from his magicians because that's what he wanted to hear. If you keep listening to what you want to hear, that's exactly what you will hear, and you won't be able to hear
1: anything else. I call it petrified thinking. I mean, it's a fossil in there. It's dead as it can be, but it's there. You cannot change that thought pattern. And that's why
0: I think at this point, with the with separation of the lower and upper waters, often it feels like we're talking to people, that their thought process is already fossilized like pharaohs. It doesn't matter what you say to them. They're never going to believe the truth. They are willing to believe a lie, and therefore they do literally believe it, and they're invested in it. This is what we're facing in the coming year. If you thought it was hard to talk to people before, if it was hard for them to separate light and darkness like the first day, had that particular problem last year. That characterized last year for sure. It's like COVID brought a supernatural blindness with it.
1: People, I mean, they it's like talking to a wall when you talk to them. There's no logic. I mean,
0: one plus one equals 17 somehow in their minds. And if
1: you don't agree with them, there's something wrong with you. And so the second year you're going to see an intensive of that. The the two realms are going to get farther and farther apart.
0: And like I say, I I do I don't think it was coincidence. Let me share something with you here just as a reminder because I know I don't have enough voice to do it today. But once we woke up last Shabbat and realized what was happening and we realized that Gaza was going to go under siege, but that they had already besieged even
1: more Israeli towns than we knew at the time. It made me wonder, like, how in the world did I get off on this rabbit trail of the wars of kings
0: and siege tactics, where we could start to look at some of the spiritual applications of these siege tactics and of course it's part of the the study we've been doing in the song of songs and and there was a link but really nothing to justify going this far with the teaching this is taking us all the way back to the plagues in egypt but then when i realized what was going on it made perfect sense we guys have in this shabbat live stream and in our Torah classes Monday and Tuesday we have been preparing for several
1: weeks for exactly what we woke up to last Shabbat morning and exactly what we woke up to this morning and what we will wake up to tomorrow morning and what we will likely wake up to for the rest of the year
0: the the kingdom of darkness is both laying siege and it is under siege. And so I would urge you, if you haven't had a chance, to go through each of these, to maybe flip back to the first uh, episode of the Wars of Kings. I hate to call it an episode. First program of the Wars of Kings. And review these these 10 tactics in the wars, the siege, this is the what characterizes the siege on the enemy.
1: And we talked, you know, again, about how it won't be identical. It'll have to suit the generation. Things might occur in a different order. Uh, things might overlap,
0: would go with that. Things may only repeat partly when we're talking about a prophetic action. But we compared these 10 siege tactics. And as you've been reading the news or listening to interviews, how many of these 10 things can you point to and say, we studied that very thing. We studied the the more spiritual aspect of it because there wasn't a siege going when we started the study. I need to go back and look at the first date we started this. It had not been that long ago. But now we're looking at it, it, usually you see it in the natural realm first, and then you understand the spiritual. We did it in reverse. We studied this in spiritual realms.
1: And then last Shabbat, we woke up and we started seeing it in the natural. And so remember, number one, which is compared
0: to the plague of blood, you attack sources of fresh water. We've seen that. It's been cut off. Tactic number two is corresponding to the plague of frogs. The besieging force will use sound to frighten and to confuse. Having been there, I understand how the sound works. When a rocket gets up in the air, it makes a noise. And when a rocket gets knocked down, it makes a noise. And that's before it ever hits the ground and starts shaking things around. Uh, I'm sure the sound of jets is a frightening sound. There are certain sounds that I heard made by the human actors that were intended to intimidate and frighten. The third was the lice, which is compared to a hail of arrows to pierce the body. And we say this is small arms like bullets. This is not the main the main attack, but it it softens things up. Number four was the wild beasts, which is like the shock troops, uh, typically in times past in history, foreign mercenaries, right? But these are the shock troops. These are the guys that get out in front. Five is the pestilence, seizing captives. Six is the boils, that's the heavy burning. Seven is the hail, which is the sum of all plagues, which is heavy, heavy bombardment. And this is the phase we're at today. And we're right on the precipice. If it hasn't started already, things change by the minute. The plague of locusts is a large army attack where you get face to face with the enemy,
1: with the main force of the enemy. Number nine is darkness, which is going to be imprisonment. And number 10 is going to
0: be the death of the firstborn, which will be the the execution of the leaders, right? So I just, I I throw that in there just to review. So you can remember what we've been studying now that you're seeing these things in the natural realm on both sides, on both sides. And so next week, hopefully I'll have a much better voice. I'll have healed up a little bit. And what I want to do is go back and review Plagues 9 and 10. Plagues 9 and 10, the darkness
1: and the firstborn. I want to add some things to that. Um, But mainly, I want us to be careful. Because one of the questions that's asked
0: about the plague of the firstborn is, why does it say that all the firstborn were going to be killed if they didn't have the blood on the doorpost? Why does it say even to the slave woman? One of the things that the rabbis understand about that is the different people that names who would also be subject to the plague of the firstborn, even though they didn't have an active role in subjugating the Hebrews, they weren't the ones cracking the whips and and doing the things that they did, they rejoiced over it. They were happy to see the Hebrews oppressed. They were happy to see someone else abused. They were happy to see human beings mutilated. And therefore, they became subject to the plague as well, even though it wasn't their hand that did the atrocity, because they rejoiced over it. They became subject to it, to the same death. And so we have to be careful how we react to what we see. We can rejoice in Adonai and his goodness, that he is supreme, that he is king, that he is Adonai Sevaot, the Lord of armies. But we have to be careful how we rejoice. You don't want to rejoice like a Philistine.
1: You don't want to rejoice like even an Egyptian. Servant, we, we want
0: to be careful because if you rejoice over evil, if you rejoice over death, you can become subject to the same death. We need to be very circumspect, and in fact, this is why it's very tamped down in a Passover Seder when you do the 10 plagues and you take your finger and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, and you with the plague, you say the plague, and then you dash it onto the plate. It's a very sober time because you don't want to rejoice over the death of your enemy. Remember, they're made in the image of Elohim, regardless of what they're acting like. And that's a very hard one for me to swallow personally. I'll just have to tell you, uh, when someone's behavior is that outrageous, it's hard not to be glad when there's justice in the world. And you can be glad for justice. But there's a line between that that you are glad that Adonai vindicates his people and rejoicing over the death of another of his creations.
1: And I would just rather either not brought that up because I don't like that one. But It doesn't matter what I like or don't like. It's written. We have to be very careful how we react.
0: We need to... Be very sober-minded through this. No matter what we see, keep going back to the Word. Keep grounding yourself in the Word. Make sure that you're associated with those upper waters and not getting
1: sucked down into the bottom of the ocean with, you know, the fish that, that just weren't good.
0: And you definitely don't want to be those fish washed up on a beach. Because it said some
1: incredible things about this fish. They were young. You had a whole gathering of young people just wiped out. And they
0: didn't know they were in danger. That's what they, well, these aren't endangered fish. Well, they didn't think they were in danger. They thought they were going to a party. Which maybe the lesson there is maybe they should have been going to Shabbat service and they would have been safe and covered. We're not rejoicing over their death. We don't want to dishonor the dead. But just the symbolism of this, they were young. They had their lives ahead of them. And they said it's a terrible and heartbreaking sight. Any of you who have seen the news, that is a terrible and heartbreaking sight. It said it's a sorrowful morning. That's when it started. It started in the morning. And they were discarded by evil fishermen. So we we need to stay in a... In an attitude of prayer and intercession, that no more of these young fish will be in danger. That these young fish, that they will turn to Adonai. I've heard some wonderful stories about the soldiers preparing, wanting tzitzit, uh, being welcomed as they fly from all over the world back home to try to defend their homeland, small as it is. Not just against a small group of people, but against the world. That's what they're getting ready to defend. They're getting ready to defend themselves against the world. And and we don't know if this is the last battle or just another one in the cycle. But whatever it is, we, we need to pray that Israel will turn to Adonai, that they will not rely on any other nation, that they will not rely on any weapons system, that they will not rely on human numbers because they don't have them. There's a finite number of things you can fire off to protect against a missile. In the natural, you can be overwhelmed. It's just a matter of time. But in the supernatural, they can never be overwhelmed if they will cry out to Adonai. And so we want to be there upholding, interceding, praying that they will turn to him. Do they have weapons? Yes, use them. But he is the Lord of armies, and he's the one they need to turn to. He's the one we need to turn to whatever's going on in our own lives. Your life is not going to be trouble-free. It's like, cheer up, it gets worse. It's going to be a challenging year. But if you love somebody, you can warn them that they have challenges ahead so they can be prepared. If you know it's coming, it's a lot easier to get through something, isn't it? If you're out on the road and it says, you know, caution, curves ahead, doesn't that get your mind like, okay, I need to pay attention. I don't need to be fiddling with the radio or smacking the kids in the back seat or whatever, I need to have my eyes on the road right here. I'm telling you, have your eyes on the road right here. This is a rough stretch and it's probably going to get way worse before it gets better. But if you're prepared, there's no reason to be anxious. There's no reason to be worried. There's no reason to have despair. You've been preparing for this. You've been preparing for these very days. You didn't know exactly how that would look but you've been immersing yourself in the word. And so I'm not telling you pat yourself on the back for that, but you should have that that confidence at this point, that shot of faith and confidence in Adonai that, you know what? I didn't know this was coming, but you prepared me with your word. You taught me the topics I needed to study to be able to stand and be a rock for my brothers and sisters rather than running around with my hair on fire. Don't run around with your hair on fire, especially not when they're separating waters from waters. Right? I mean, plenty of water to swim through. All right, so I'm going to go, but I did want to speak to you a little bit, if just to encourage you that you've been studying the right things to prepare. Don't stop. Stay in the work. Stay in the work. And Mishrat Hashem, we'll see you back here again next week. you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com
1: You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.